Well, amen to that, guys. We are continuing our series. I'm trying to... Oh, yes. Before we continue, please raise your hand if you do not have your study sheet. Because we have our study sheet. We have some over here. Please raise your hand. Some people need it over here. And then over here. You know, those of you that do not have your study sheets, you must have not picked up a bulletin. And that is okay. Keep your hands raised. Um, you know, when it comes to the study sheets, when it comes to this series, this is something that we're uh, just trying, doing something new. In this series, people have appreciated it, so I've heard. Maybe some of you just like to listen and don't like to write, and that's okay. I'll pray for you too. Um, but uh, okay, there's some over there. Excellent, wonderful. Why don't we go ahead and get started? We're going to do a little review here because we've been studying the enemies of the heart. And every enemy of the heart creates a debt-to-debtor relationship. The first one that we studied was guilt, okay? And let me see, actually, let me, okay, here we go. Let me just see if this works. All right. Wonderful. Okay, not really working. Let me try that again. And it's not working again. It buzzed, but can we, let me, okay, let me try that again. Yes, there we go. Wonderful. And it got ahead of me here. But anyways, let's do a little review, shall we? Okay, remember, and I already kind of gave you the first answer here. Every single enemy of the heart, when it is put in secrecy, it grows. But when it's brought to the light, it loses its power. The first enemy of the heart is guilt. And guilt says what? I owe you. There is a cure for guilt. And the cure for guilt is confession. All right? Remember, we had talked about that the type of confession that gets really rid of guilt, especially when it comes to God, is the confession that requires change. It's not just a confession that we just go to, empty our sin buckets in, and then all of a sudden we just move on with the day and then filling our sin buckets back with the same sins. You know, God is wanting to definitely change our hearts. And we have been doing a profound, profound research into what is going on here all the secrets all the enemies of the heart next one if guilt says i owe you and the cure for guilt is confession anger says can anybody tell me you owe me let's try that again okay ah i went ahead no stop thank you very much anger says oh look at that well anger says you owe me and the cure for anger is forgiveness. We talked about forgiveness. That was actually my bad. I was supposed to kind of, anyways. But the, the, cure for anger is, the cure for anger is forgiveness. We talked about that forgiveness is not merely a feeling, but it is also a decision. And remember, according to the parable of the unforgiving servant, forgiveness is simply canceling a debt that somebody owes you. So I kind of already dropped the ball here a little bit. Anger says you owe me. The cure for anger is forgiveness. Greed, I think you just kind of saw it already. Can anybody, but still, you, I, you know, I want you to participate. Greed says what? If, if guilt says I owe you, and anger says you owe me, greed says I owe me. 
Greed says, I owe me. Uh, and so I'll go ahead and put that over here in a little bit. As we do the review, my friends, and as we're about to start, we need to invite the Holy Spirit to be with us. Can you guys pray with me, please? Heavenly Father, I just thank you so much for this wonderful Sabbath. Lord, what a beautiful weather we have. And it reminds me a little bit of the weather that we're going to have in heaven. And uh, I just want to thank you, Father, that we live in a place like Port Charlotte and that we can attend the Port Charlotte Seventh-day Adventist Church. Father, we are about Jesus. And God, Father, we want Jesus to be in our midst today. Send your Holy Spirit, Father God. May we continue, Lord, to seek you. And as we seek you, Father God, may we dig deep down to see what is lurking inside of us. We pray that your Spirit can take over, and we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Let everybody say, Amen. All right. So, guilt says, I owe you. Anger says, you owe me. Greed says, I owe me. The bottom line, I'm just going to go ahead and dig right into it. The bottom line is this. Very few people will say that they are greedy. Some may say, oh, you know what? I do have a few secrets. Some may say, oh, I have an occasional angry outburst here and there. But very few people will say, oh, you know what? I struggle with greed. Because a lot of the times, what we don't realize is that greed kind of disguises itself. Greedy people not only believe that they deserve every good thing that comes their way, but they also believe that they deserve every good thing that could possibly come their way. Their theme or mantra is this, what's mine is mine because I have earned it and I've got a lot more coming. But see, greed is a different breed than all these other enemies of the heart because greed, like I said, it disguises itself. In fact, most of you, most of you are thinking, hey, you know what, there's no way. Maybe I, like I said, I, maybe I, I do struggle with guilt. Maybe, you know, after the pastor preached that sermon, maybe there is something or, that I owe someone. Or maybe, you know, after the pastor preached the sermon before that, you know, maybe I, 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 I feel like somebody owes me something. I get that. You know what? And I think I have worked it out with God, but I don't struggle with greed. The reason why we think this is because greed can hide behind several virtues. Greedy people talk a lot, I'm sorry, greedy people talk a lot and worry a lot about money. They are not cheerful givers. They are reluctant to share. They are poor losers. They quibble over insignificant sums of money. They talk as if they have just enough to get by. They won't let you forget what they have done for you. They are reluctant to express gratitude, and they are not content with what they have. And they also like to control other people with their money. See, when it comes to greed, it can actually hide itself behind a lot of benefits. You know what's interesting? When we come to church, and those of us that have been, you know, I have a churchgoers, I'll tell you something, you know, we always talk about a certain percentage that we give to the Lord, right? How much, what's that percentage that we're talking about? 
It's 10%. That is the tithe. That is the one that actually we don't give to the Lord, but we return to the Lord. And I actually, and it's funny, I was actually talking with uh, our treasurer here. She actually let me know some statistics that were kind of mind-boggling when it comes to all of this. But uh, how many of you here, let me ask, raise your hand if you ever went to Adventist education, whether it's academy, university, all that. Please raise your hand. Okay, well, how many of you would like to go one day to a, 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 an Adventist university? Raise your hand. Okay, some of you, okay. So here's the deal. These are mind-boggling statistics, guys. But did you know that only 25 to 40% of constituents in Florida, in Florida, right, are faithful tithe givers? 25 to 40%. If, 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 if 100% of the constituents gave tithe, Adventist education would be either extremely cheap or even free. So let us think about that. Let us think about that. You know, sometimes we like to make excuses when it comes to giving, but I'm here to tell you that when it comes to greed, it is not really a money issue. Let's keep going. The thing about greed is that it knows no socioeconomic boundaries. I've met greedy poor people, and I've, meet, I've met greedy rich people. At the same time, I have also met generous people that don't have a lot, and I've met generous people that also have a lot. And it knows no socioeconomic barriers. You know why? And we've got to go with three and four here, because greed is not a financial issue. Greed is a what? It's a heart issue. When it comes to giving in general, you know, we like to maybe hold on to the stuff that we have because, man, we've worked hard for it. Maybe we've saved for it and all that kind of... But you know what? I'm telling you here, and I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with something. We're going to unpack that, by the way. But I'm here to tell you that God has a system so that you can actually live life and also live it fully. So, let me ask you, is this an issue for you? Is it hard for you to give money away? Are you quick to make excuses? Do you ask questions to make you look like you're a careful steward, while in fact you're looking for an excuse not to give? When you do give, are there strings attached? You know, Jesus tells us a story. And if you, uh, if you have your Bibles, let's see if it actually appears over here. Man... Let's try that. Something's not. Can we go to the next slide? Ah, here we go. Maybe, am, I, am I pointing to somewhere? I need to point like, do I need to point it another way? Kind of thing? Okay, let's try that. Anyways, Jesus tells a story, okay? When Jesus tells a story about this, you know, he wanted to, for people to make sure that their hearts were in the right place. You can follow it in your Bible, but in Luke 12, 15, just go ahead and read with me. And it says, then he said to them, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. So hold on one second. There's not just one kind of greed. Hey, let me tell you something. Let me unpack this a little bit here. Sometimes we limit greed to simply not giving. But greed can come in many different ways. You know, some people say, oh, you know what? I'm not greedy because 
I'm a thrifty shopper, right? I go, I go shop at Goodwill, and I go shop at Plato's Closet, and all this kind of stuff. And you know what? And all of a sudden, you, you, you are proud of yourself for being a thrifty shopper, but you look at your closet, and then you're like, I have nothing to wear. And so because of that, you know, you're kind of thinking, okay, you know what? We're going to get rid of some of the old clothes in order to bring some of the new clothes in. And that in itself, you don't necessarily translate that to greed, but it's almost like, oh, you know what? I see something, and that means that I got to have it. Are you following me here? That means that I got to have it. That means that if I, if, I ha- if I see the latest car, even though my credit is terrible, even though I oh, I don't even know how many, how many thousands of dollars to my, my student loans, I still got to have that car. I can make monthly payments. But maybe my giving towards the church is not the greatest. Oh, my goodness. You're so sweet. How did you know? Thank you. Maybe I'm a little nervous today. I don't know. But Jesus says, Be on your guard against all kinds of greed because a man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. We live in a culture where it simply tells us that the more we have, the better we will be. When Jesus tells us to watch out on your, against all kinds of greed, he's telling us that for the greedy person, stuff equals life, and the driving force behind greed is fear. People with greed lodge in their heart fear that God either can't or won't take care of them. But let's continue on Jesus' parable. Let's see if this continues here. Here we go. And he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man produced a good crop. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. So let me stop you right there. First and foremost, he's telling you, hey, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. And then he tells a story. And he's talking about this guy that, hey, back in the day, remember you had a crop and you had, you know, fields that produced a lot of wonderful stuff. But then all of a sudden, he had so much, and he's like, oh my goodness, what am I supposed to do with all this? I have no place to store my crops. The story continues. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns, build bigger ones, and there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of good things laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and what? And be merry. Oh man, look at this. This guy is almost like if you look, if the story ended here, this guy is the perfect example of a financial guru. Hey, I have all these crops. Hmm, what am I supposed to do? I got it. I'm going to store them up all for. Oh man, that sounds fine and dandy, right? Well, we know the story doesn't end there because Jesus says, but God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? And then Jesus concludes the parable. This is how it will be with anyone who stores up things for himself, but is not rich toward God. You know, when it comes to this parable, the question that the man should have been asking is, Lord, what do you want me to do with the extra? 
And in verses 18 and 19, he runs out of time before he runs out of stuff. See, all of a sudden, maybe we think, and we're under the mentality, that money is life's report card. If we have a lot, God is going to give me an A. If we don't have a lot, then God is going to flunk me. But you know, he, in this particular case, he is so focused on storing stuff for himself that he does not realize what his surroundings are. Maybe you've heard of that story. You know, this man, for all of his life, he accumulated riches for the longest time, and his retirement equaled $10 million. Does that sound great? All right, okay. Because I'm talking about great, but it's like, mm, I don't know, right? It's okay. Hey, he actually earned that, and he said, you know what? I do, like this man, I'm going to store up all this stuff for myself. But you know what? Not long after his retirement, he came up with cancer, and the doctor gave him one week to live. Ten million dollars! Man! I had all these plans. I was going to buy condos. I was going to buy a house. I was going to buy my own lot, etc., etc. And he told his wife, let's just call her Mary. Mary, when I leave from this earth, I want to take my money with me. So I want you to put my money inside my coffin with me. And then she's like, okay. A week passed by. The man passed away. His, his, her sister, by the way, was there with her when he was making this request. And then she said, hey, uh, you didn't really fulfill his last wish, did you? She said, of course I did. I am a faithful woman, and I did what my husband asked me to do. What I did is that I put a blank check piece of paper in his coffin, and he can check it out whenever he wants. <laughs> you know? You know, it's funny because you laugh because, like, you're kind of thinking, this is ridiculous. This is a ludicrous request. There is no way that you're going to take this stuff with you. And this man is basically a perfect example of a man that stores up stuff for himself but is not rich towards God. And Jesus gives us the warning, be careful against all kinds of greed. Let's go to the handout. Number five, Jesus' definition of a greedy person is a person who stores up things for himself but is not rich towards God. We still have some others, but it's okay. What is the warning here? Is Jesus saying that if we are generous savers but not generous givers, we will die? No, I don't think that's what he's saying. I mean, it's a given that we all will die one day. What about unexpected death? Is he saying that we will die unexpectedly? I don't think that it is either. Number six, those whose eagerness to store up material goods outspaces their willingness to give will suffer a complete and total loss when their time runs out. See, that's the real moral of the story. The parable of the rich fool does two important things for us. First, it defines greed from God's perspective. Second, it offers a simple remedy. Now, we talked about guilt, and, the, and it says IOU, and you know, the cure for guilt is to confess. 
We talked about anger. Anger says you owe me, and the cure for anger is forgiveness. Greed says I owe me. What do you think is the cure for greed? It is very simple. We do with money what is really meant for it that we do with it. Are you guys ready for this? And that is to give. Simple. That is to give it. Give it away. The only way that we can break the power of greed in our lives is to do with money that for which is not made, and that is to give it away. This parable is actually, you know, this teaching that I'm about to... Uh, it's not on the screen, so if you have your Bibles, please turn away to Matthew 6 because this actually reemphasizes everything that I've just said. Matthew chapter 6, we're going to go to verse 19. Matthew chapter 6, verse 19. I'm reading from the New King James Version. Some of the PowerPoints are from the NIV. It's okay, right? Please don't uh, stone me for that. New King James, I know some of us still like KJV. It's all good. We're trying to get our hearts in the right place. Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 21. If you're there, please say Hallelujah. And it says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and trust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I think this goes along with the other parable. Jesus was telling the other parable to make sure that you're being rich towards God. But in this particular saying, in this actual teaching, where it happens in the Sermon on the Mount, by the way, he says, be careful, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on this earth where moth and rust destroy. Basically, you could be the biggest millionaire ever. At the end of the day, you are not going to take any of that stuff with you. And I don't know about you, but I think you're here because you're wanting something even better. And God is saying to all of us here, hey, I am here to give you a better quality of life. But I'm here to also tell you that the quality of your life means absolutely nothing based on your possessions. What do I mean by that? You know, when it comes to the heart issue, this is why we say that greed is not necessarily a financial issue, but a heart issue. Think about it this way. Think of all, okay, think of all of us right here, your heart. And let's say, I'm just going to give you this example. Let's say that this is money. Can you picture that, please? If you want to know where your heart is, follow the money trail. Does that make sense? If you want to know where your heart is, follow the money trail. Because wherever you put your investment, wherever you put your savings, that is where your heart is. For example, let's say, and I'm not saying there's anything bad with this. Please don't misunderstand me. But let's say some of you, I don't know if anybody does this or not, so I don't know if I'm calling anybody out. But let's say some of you decides to buy a stock. Okay? Anybody familiar with that? Don't raise your hand. But, but at least you know. When you buy your stock, let's say you buy your stock with either Apple or Google. You know that that's going to make some good cha-ching, right? You buy that stock. What happens? You put a good amount of money in that stock. And then what do you do? You start worrying. You start worrying. You just gave a piece of your heart to that stock. 
So what are you doing? You're getting on the computer. Let me see how much the stock went up. Or if it went down, what if the stock market crashes? Are you following me here? You know? But when it comes to the things of the heart, God says, please be very careful. That doesn't mean that you shouldn't save money, by the way. In fact, saving money is a beautiful thing. But God is saying, if you're putting your treasures in the wrong places, then you're the one that's losing. Because you know what? We can buy a $25,000 car while having a $50,000 debt. That is called greed. Because you haven't taken care of the stuff before. I remind you, greed is not a financial issue, but it is a heart issue. Well, here's a question that we all need to ask ourselves. Why do I have so much? You know, maybe you're comparing yourself to the Joneses. There's no Joneses here, are they? Okay. I'm just, oh, really? No, you're Williams. There you go. The Joneses have a beautiful two-story house, a white picket fence. They don't even have an Audi. They upgraded to a Tesla. And they, you know, they have all of these wonderful possessions. They look because they look so happy because they always put on their Facebook post how happy their family is. Don't compare yourself to the Joneses. The Joneses are broke, my friends. Okay? Why are we not satisfied? This consumer-driven culture that we live in keeps us focused on what we don't have, and focusing on what we don't have leaves our hearts open to greed. We like to constantly compare ourselves. Why is it that I live in a small, dinky apartment and that person lives in a house? Why is it that we are, you know, I barely can make ends meet and then that person seems like they're prosperous? Let me tell you something. It's really not about you know, making ends meet. It's about where your heart is. Because God wants to bless you. And you didn't ask yourself, when we didn't have enough, we wonder why. But why not wonder when we have more than enough? Now, I need two volunteers for an example over here. Uh, hopefully two PCAST students. Where are they? Let me see. Or anybody that from the children's... You guys want to come and help me? Hey, two of them. Two of you. Okay, if not, I'm going to call in the adults. Okay, we have one volunteer. Thank you. We have one more. Just tell them to come. Let me see over here. Thank you very much. We have one and we have... Oh, we have three. We only need two. Come on, Bella. Come on. Here we go. I love your dress. Look at you. Oh, it's not your dress? Okay. Well, there goes my compliment. There we go. So, let me ask you a question. Do you guys like muffins? Please say yes. yes. There we go. Thank you very much. <laughs> what if... Okay, I have them two standing here, and I go... You know what? Right? Here you go. And you take both of them. Is there something wrong with this picture? Wait, wait, wait. Hold on. You're getting ahead of me here. Is there something wrong with this picture, yes or no? 
You know, it's funny, even as parents, when we see a picture like this, we tell our children that we need to what? That we need to share. When we look at greed, we don't think about it this way necessarily. It almost seems like you have two and she has none. You know, they're both cute, by the way. But it's like, hey, what's going on here? Something's wrong with this picture. God is telling us, if you have extra, then you need to share. Please, you can do that now. Yay. Does that look better? <laughs> Amen. Well, no, you're, getting, you're going a little bit. Well, you know what? If you keep going that way, that actually does take it to my next point. But for the sake of this illustration, one of you gets each. Is that okay? All right. Marcy, you have to really explain these illustrations. But anyways, you guys have done good. You can go back to your seats. Can we give them a hand, please? You can, you can, you can keep it. You can keep it, by the way. Oh, you, you can give it to her? Okay, we'll get to that next point then. Why not? Bella, give it to your mom. There you go. So, how can, get, how can we get rid of this greed? Well, we're simple. We give. And we give, let's just put it this way, the Bible says God loves a what? Are we always cheerful when we give? Hmm. The word cheerful, do you know where it comes from? It comes from the Greek. Hilario is the word. What does that sound like? Yes. God loves a hilarious giver. God, what he's saying here is that when you give and when you make a habit of giving, God fills you with cheerfulness, with hilariousness. It's not just like, oh, we're passing the offering, everybody's like, ha, 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 here we go. No. My friends, we give until you get cheerful. Okay? I want you to remember one of these things. When it comes to all of these habits, when it comes to confession, when it comes to forgiveness, when it comes to giving, all of these habits, guys, they are habits that we, that simply put, simply said, they sound simple. They sound, they, are, they sound simple, but they're not necessarily easy. Okay? I want you to pay attention for what I'm about to say. With all of these habits, okay, with all of these heart-healing habits, we need to do them until they become natural to us. I want you to think about this. It is easier to behave your way into a new way of thinking than to think your way into a new way of behaving. Do I need to say that again? You might want to write this down. I'll repeat it next time as well. But it is easier... It is easier to behave your way into a new way of thinking than to think your way into a new way of behaving. What do I mean by that? It's simple. Sometimes when we are struggling with something, we simply want the magic prayer, God, make me more of a cheerful giver. And we just want it to magically happen. And we think, and then when, some, when the opportunity comes, we're like, you know what? Yeah, I should have done that. 
you know, I should have thought about that. I should, you know, it's like, no, 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 no. God says, you want to be a cheerful giver? Give. And continue giving. And give until you become cheerful for crying out loud. You know what I'm saying, right? You give until that becomes second nature. Remember, we don't struggle, guys. We don't struggle. We don't strive here to be good because none of us are good here. We don't strive to be good. We strive to stay connected. And when we stay connected to God, He gives us the desire of our hearts. And then that is when He says, Hey, you know what? I have changed your heart. You have become now a cheerful giver. Does that make sense? God loves a cheerful giver. Why? Remember, greed, number eight, is not a feeling, just like any other of this stuff, any other of the enemies. Greed is a refusal to act. Why should we give? Because God needs it. Okay? If God wanted your money, he would take it and there would be a greasy spot where you would be sitting. Okay? Does God give to us every single day? The promise, the biggest promise of them all, John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he what? His only begotten son, that whosoever believeth him shall not perish but have everlasting life. I don't see how we can be Christ-like when we don't give because he gave everything. Number nine. I'm just kidding. There's no number nine. Oh, there is a typo there. I'm just kidding. Giving will give us a generous heart. The more we give, the less selfish we become. Remember, we are not owners. We are managers. The truth is, God owns everything. And King David recognized this. For, king is, for, for the king, anybody to acknowledge that God is the owner of everything is unusual. But in David's day, it was general, generally accepted that the king owned everything and everybody in his realm. David knew better. In, let's try that again. First Chronicles 29.11 Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor for everything in heaven and on earth is what? Yours, O Lord, is the kingdom. You are exalted as head over all. We are God's stewards and a good steward manages well his master's money. Is it kind of interesting to think about, well, the shoes I'm wearing, they're God's. This tie, it's God's, right? Is that safe to say? The glasses that you're wearing, the clothes you're wearing, the products that you put on your hair, everything is God's. Everything is God's. And I want to end with this quote. And John Wesley, he says, When I have money, I get rid of it quickly, lest it find a way into my heart. Remember, greed is not a financial issue. No, no, no. It is a heart issue. 
when it comes to giving. God wants to make you a cheerful giver. By the way, and I want to close with this, have you ever met somebody generous, a generous giver, that was not happy? Right? Have we met a lot of unhappy, greedy people? See what I'm talking about here? Generosity, all right? Generosity is the key for joy and happiness. When God says God loves a cheerful giver, it's because the giving eventually makes you cheerful. It makes you hilarious. When I have money, I get rid of it quickly lest it find a way into my heart. And I need to obviously make a commitment here. And you can circle that in your study sheet. I will commit today to asking God to root out the greed in my heart by becoming a generous giver. You always have a choice. If this is something that you want to do, circle yes. And if not, then we will pray for you. And if you circle no. But I believe that you want to have that joy in your heart. I believe that you want to have a, you want to be a cheerful giver. I believe that you know you want to live the God, the life that God wants you to live. And guys, let me tell you something. When I'm preaching this, I promise you, I'm not preaching to you. I'm preaching to us. I'm talking to myself as well. You know, I'll just tell you real quick. When it came to tithing, just tithing itself, at first I had no idea what it was like. You know, when I got baptized into the Seventh-day Adventist church, you know, when, and they, they told me about tithing, it was like, and then they, they, they kind of did the whole study, and then at the end they said, hey, you know what, at the end of the day, it's between you and God. And so I was like, well, I don't think God is asking me to give anything. You know, I, I struggled a little bit. There was a lot of things that I had to learn. When I went to the mission field and I came back, I actually got a, a, better, per, a better perspective of what it was just to tithe. And then I thought, okay, fine, 10%. I can do that. And the offering plate would pass, and I would just give the cash, 10% of what it was. $100, here you go, $10. No slip, no anything like that. And it would be to any church that I went to, right? I didn't have any membership. Actually, my membership was still in Forest City Church in Apopka, Florida. Forest City, Florida, just kidding. And then finally, you know, somebody told me, listen, when it comes to tithing, you're supposed to support your local church. Send it to your local church. It's like, well, I don't feel like necessarily writing a letter or sending a check to my... I mean, I feel like I can just put it... Well, you know, why don't you transfer your membership? Well, okay. That actually makes sense. And ever since then, 10% faithfully was always to the local church. Right after that, God said, okay, you got the tithing down. Right? You got the tithing down. How long are you going to tithe for? I mean, how long have you been tithing for? I didn't grow up tithing. I didn't know exactly what that was. I didn't grow up tithing. I don't know. What am I supposed to do? It's like, wait, hold on one second. Now that you got your tithing down, remember, do not store up for yourselves treasures in this world. And he says, 
If you want to hold on to something, the best way to get rid of it is to give it away before it reaches a place in your heart. God says, I want to give you the best life, but you also need to make a commitment. I will commit today to asking God to root out the greed in my heart by becoming a generous giver. Why? Because God wants you to be a cheerful giver.